0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. This week we're back to my personal favorite format, a childhood dream of mine. To anything like radio host Delilah, whether to tell you to love someone tonight or to attempt to talk through your pressing questions in a soothing manner. I chose this really choppy, uh awkward Kate Lila title many moons ago in a way that I can't change now. And, uh, it's a tradition that's been going strong for many years now at this podcast. And I love nothing more than when you call in and leave voicemails numbers 312-379-9676. If you're ever wondering, and, uh, it's just, I don't know. I could, I could do this every week. Honestly, I love the topics you guys come up with. It's especially helpful when like, I think my biggest fear in all of this is like the slow realization that I'm just like, not that interesting of a person and that you'll find me out. It's kind of my job's version of imposter syndrome. And some weeks when I just am struggling to feel inspired on my own, like you inspire me all over again with these prompts. And for that, I'm grateful. I mean, I, I like I always tell you, I make an iPhone note every week, every couple of weeks with things I'm enjoying, the, the things that are making me that I'm living for or laughing at or loving or lurking. Some weeks it's fruitful, like the very lengthy episode I did on Patreon about, you know, analyzing ted lasso's amsterdam episode or like my k-pop rabbit hole but this week i made an iphone note and all it says is i find it charming when british people say off you go end of end of note not not kidding <laughs> that's all i all i could muster to write down this week off you go have i said that before because i i've thought it before but never i, I was like I, but again what on what planet would i think that this is the right forum to tell you that i just think it's nice um Greg was like, you could talk about how, you know, if somebody had told you in, like, the 90s that Elizabeth would be the most popular Olsen sister and that Kieran would be the most popular Culkin brother. Like, that's pretty crazy. And I was like, God, that's a great idea. And then I realized I have nothing else to elaborate on. I do think Lizzie's very charming, though. I think I'm just struggling. That You know, my life is, not that my life ever was that glamorous, but, like, I'm really, you know, cutting back, not doing a ton lately. Uh, I don't want to complain about being pregnant because... That's like niche and not that interesting. You know, I'm currently dealing with like an ingrown hair I cannot see or reach on myself. Uh it is weird when you can't put on your own socks. I'm also the pregnancies made me really realize how um my life, my entire life, my days are but strung between moments of me going up or downstairs trying to remember what what I was going to bring up or downstairs. And then on each level, I just have what they call a doom pile of random things that need to go on so many different parts it's not i don't live in like a huge house i we live in the city in like uh kind of i don't know how to explain it we live on like the north side of chicago in an area where there's like more single-family homes and we moved to an sfh not to Prague, uh as renters uh, last year because we were thinking about having kids because i wanted to see like if there are a halfway point between the city and the burbs where we could you know have a little bit more space where i could have a recording studio live that millennial basement dwelling dream And um and I love it, but I will say just I spend all day looking for stuff and um I spent the better part of my Saturday this morning separating and reallocating items from doom piles. And guys, I don't know if anybody else deals with this, but it's just it it is so frustrating to be me. And everywhere you look, there's a heart, there's a heart, a hand to hold on to, but also a credit card, two Christmas ornaments, a nail polish, a purse lip gloss, and I say purse because they go to different places. I need the nail polish to go someplace and I need the lip gloss to go to a purse. A claw clip that I do not do not I d don't I don't know if it belongs by the door so I can get it on the way out, or in the bathroom when I would put my hair up, a few rogue pens, an apple pencil, I do need to keep track of a notepad that I feel guilty getting rid of because it's pretty, but I just I don't really need another notepad. Alongside countless like receipts, loose change. Mail I simply will never open, but it seems like it probably contains personal information that means I shouldn't throw it away in its whole form. Uh, (laughs) And Lately, a lot of warranties for baby products that like, do I really want to spend my one wild and precious life mailing something in and taking it to a blue mailbox and filling in all this information by hand? To receive my warranty for a product that I don't know was under $200, that I, for being honest, I'm never gonna redeem. Are we the people like exercising our rights with warranties? They sound like a good idea for things like mattresses and stuff. Like it makes sense. But I mean, for this like baby bouncer, this baby bouncer is expensive. And like the baby, it, it, I have to bounce it with my foot. Like it doesn't bounce itself. Ugh, that's you know, it's all a lot. And anyway, this week I'm gonna cut myself off in my own intro so I don't bore you two tears. It's been fun slash helpful to kind of oscillate between more personal shit and then to like have people on that have written books, talk to experts, have more elevated conversations, because I think that if left to my own devices, uh, I will all just talk about things I saw on my devices that week. And I'm not sure that that's particularly entertaining, although I am currently down a TikTok rabbit hole of people that bought a crystal called like Moldavite or something. And the weird shit that's happened ever since. (gasps) I know. I had no idea what that meant either, but gasped for dramatic effect. There's a Cosmo article about it. It, Apparently, it got this trend a year later. Moldavite is the healing crystal TikTokers are saying ruins lives. This girl received a call on the last day of her business trip to say that she had to move out of her rented house. In the same 24 hours, she went through a breakup and found out that her stepdad, who had been terminally ill, had passed away. With tears streaming down her cheeks, she filmed a TikTok that went on to amass 6.3 million views, detailing exactly what she believed was behind the the series of ill-fated events. The alleged cause of her misfortune, an earring, a Moldavite earring. And to be specific, apparently it's not a crystal. It's like technically a tektite, which I don't know what that means either. Um, but apparently Simon Cowell did surround himself with it to repair a broken back. So that, that's something. <laughs> that's science. Again, I, I'm of the persuasion that like... I, I think it's insane to make fun of somebody's love for astrology or crystals, but to be out here like advocating Jonah was totally swallowed by a big whale or fish, depending. Uh, you know, like I, everything has its origins that outside of that belief system sound outlandish or like a parable, not meant to be taken literally or whatever, but regardless. So, yeah, steering clear of that. that <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Okay. Again, I got to go. Let's get into voicemails. This episode is brought to you by Butcherbox. And I know everyone's thinking, Kate. Tell us about your latest quality meat and seafoods routine. And that, the big news is I'm still really enjoying salmon, specifically wild-caught salmon, which Courtney Heath taught me the how distinct the color of wild-caught and how much that matters. Whether it's like a salmon Caesar salad, Courtney's loving salmon and veggies and fish tacos. Um, I'm still very into the bacon, very into any and all the steaks for Steak Sunday that we like to sous vide. I just, I can't be bothered with the grocery store. I know that sounds crazy, But as a carless gal who doesn't really understand always the markup I find on high quality meats and seafood behind the counter, I just like having an option for 100 percent grass fed beef, free range, organic chicken, pork raised, crate free, wild caught seafood, humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to my doorstep with free shipping. You can't I mean, it's hard to beat. I just think it's a really good gift for somebody who you always want to have food on hand, food in their freezer. If you care about convenience and cost, but also like quality and taste, These are just great products to have around shipped to you every month. You can get a curated box or choose your own. And they have all these recipes on their website too. And I feel like the quality and price compared to what's in store for these cuts of meat is just outstanding. And they've been a longtime sponsor and we love them. And for that, they're giving us a special deal and we're so grateful. Sign up today using code BETHERIN5 to receive ground beef for a year plus $20 off your first order. That's two pounds of ground beef in every box for a year plus $20 off your first order when you sign up at butcherbox.com/be there in 5 and use code be there in 5 that's a lot of tacos you guys a lot of sloppy joes a lot of whatever you use your ground beef for again use code be there in 5 at butcherbox.com/be there in 5 for 2 pounds of ground beef free in every box for a year plus $20 off your first order hey long
1: longtime listener first time caller i'm calling with a quick story about 27 stresses um you and i actually have a lot in common i was at a big sorority at Virginia Tech, moved to New York City after college, was in 13 weddings, spent my life's fortune as an elementary school teacher on these parties, but all the while hearing, oh, you're always a bridesmaid, never a bride, yada, yada, single for a lot of them, James Marsden was filming 27 Dresses in New York City, and we had quite the trip, (laughs) I'll say. And it became my little secret for for several um weeks, months there. So I would hear people tell me all the time, oh, my gosh, you're in another wedding. And then I would see that movie play um in reruns over the years and just think to myself, yeah. And I had fun while I was doing that. <laughs> so this message is for all the girls listening that are like, when is it going to be my time? It is going to be your time. I'm happily married now with two kids, and my life is so different than it was 10, 15 years ago. But have fun um while you're... While you're in all these weddings, ladies, your time will come and you'll be looking back thinking, oh, man, what a time to be alive. Anyway, thanks for everything, Kate. You make me laugh all the time. And I can't wait to hear the other
0: episode. Thanks. Bye. Uh, uh, Wait, what? (laughs) Okay. Webster's Dictionary defines tryst as a private romantic rendezvous between lovers. What I was trying to figure out is... Does Does Trist imply general privacy or privacy for a reason because someone is being unfaithful, i.e. Tom and Raquel? You see, it just so happens I recently did a James Marsden deep dive because he was on jury duty. And if you watch that show, long story short, Ronald agreed to come on the podcast. I did a poll on Instagram. Like 90% of you hadn't watched it at the time. I think I watched it the week it came out. So I was kind of slow, but he gave me the Amazon people to like get it booked. And then the show kind of took off and then Amazon not so politely declined. I mean, they were polite, but businesslike, they're like, we'll pass. And, you know, I, can I get a smiley face up in here? I don't know. I think that show was such an interesting human experiment. And there are endless things I want to explore about it from like an emotional and psychological standpoint. But Ronald is out here like on every bar stool podcast, and they're like, You're getting so many girls now, dude. And it's just like, Ugh, this is such a wasted conversation about this show that is a really interesting social experiment. And, anyways, I've gotten over it. But James Morrison was on jury duty and he was so good on it that my husband and I were kind of talking about how he is like kind of the perfect example of a, an actor who is not necessarily a celebrity. And by that, I simply mean that he is not getting paparazzied all the time. He is not at every Met Gala. He's not at every con film festival. A friend of mine who grew up in L.A., like in the business, uh, said this to me once. And I know I've told you guys and I'm butchering it, but like it just stuck with me that there's like the umbrella of famous people, but then there are it's kind of a Venn diagram. Like one circle is your job. So being an actor, a singer, whatever you are in entertainment, that is your job. But then there's another circle that is your celebrity. Both are famous, but he t- said that being an actor is a job, being f- uh, being a celebrity is a choice. Both come with fame, but a celebrity is different than a famous person because recognizability doesn't imply like the effort put into getting noticed getting talked about having like a media persona accompanying you that you actively nurture in addition to the actual like vocational part of your career so it's why we don't see like paparazzi shots of i don't know outside of the eras tour like laura dern what's a better example anyway point being James Marsden to me is a very good example of somebody who is very famous, who has worked a lot as an actor, but who is just not, not top of mind for me as a celebrity who you just do not see doing a lot of the self-promotional efforts. So he was almost the perfect celebrity for jury duty because even I, as a person who I think is kind of pop culturally literate, I would not have any way to like corroborate James Marston's behavior on that show with like what I thought about him because I know nothing about him personally he has worked so much if you look at his back catalog but he's not really present in the you know see and be seen scene in a way that a lot of other actors are to the point where I almost forget about him and overlook how good looking he is He has that Chris Pine sensibility about him where you're almost too objectively good-looking and Prince Charming-esque to be taken seriously. And is that because my repertoire of movie watching is small and usually involves some sort of real-life activation of a princess-y theme? And Chris Pine, you know, was Mia Thermopolis's betrothed in Princess Iris 2, a royal engagement. And James Marston was the prince in Enchanted. I don't know, you guys, I don't make the rules. They just both are they have princey vibes and I would never like put them on my wall as a heartthrob or be like, hall pass, damn. But like I can objectively acknowledge they are incredibly handsome men, but I in general am not super interested in handsome men. Um, I mean, I find my own husband to be deeply handsome, obviously, but like sometimes those really commercially attractive men, I'm I don't really i am not drawn to because I'm already mad at them because I know they will cheat on me before we have met and or dated, mind you. But they just are people that, like, I, I just would not be able to keep around. See, also, Tyler Cameron. I'm suspicious. Too handsome for your own good. What's your deal? I just, I can't, I can't bother. Anyway, James Marston's acting history inter- interests me. His lack of conventional celebrity being disproportionate to his large volume and body of work and its associated popularity is kind of remarkable. So I was like, oh, is James Marston like a family man? This was a five-minute way to tell you that I happen to know that James Marston and his wife did not split until 2011. And anyone who's part of the rom-com rotary knows that 27 Dresses came out in 2008 and filmed sometime in, I assume, the uh, 18 to 24 months leading up. My question for you, young Beth, was this Trist? <laughs> is it irresponsible for me to be airing this on the air? I feel so nervous with this information. I'm saying things like airing this on the air, which is redundant. Hmm. All that to say, I think I'm bumbling on here because I just don't know what to do with this information. I'm not used to breaking news here to be there in five podcasts. I don't it's a responsibility I don't even want. But this is an interesting anecdote. And I appreciated your message toward the end. We all find our own way. Uh, Life does seem very redundant and like we are supporting characters uh, when we're in the middle of our 27 stresses. Um, But I would have been considerably less stressed out if I was amidst a tryst with a movie star. I just am nervous. I'm breaking news here in the event he wasn't separated, which he probably was. Let's give the B the D. Um, People have their own arrangements. Sometimes people are separated. Sometimes people are cool with doing things on the side. I don't judge. I just don't know if I'm breaking news. And um, that was, wow, really an interesting little anecdote you dropped there. And thank you for sharing. I simply just don't know what to do with the information. Feel free to call back in. (laughs) Maybe I'll text you from the voicemail line. Sometimes I do that when I want to make sure people are okay. Uh, But I'm simply not okay from this news. Anyway, thanks for calling. I feel like this being, you know, over 15 years old, like meets some sort of statute of limitations. Who knows what was going on? Um, I mean, where were you in the late 2000s? In 2009, the biggest thing that happened to me was to have a 42nd conversation with Isaac Hansen at a Judith Lieber Fashions Night Out event that also featured Nikki Hilton. I had thought I had peaked, and maybe I honestly did at that point. I wonder if James Morrison was at Fashions Night Out. I can't get into that right now. (laughs) Thank you for
2: calling. Hi, Kate. I have a pedantic question that maybe is not right for this, but here I go anyway. When you say, um, let me know your thoughts, I'll let you know mine. Do you really mean for us to let you know what we are thinking? And I.
0: Wow, the drama <laughs> and click. <laughs> Was that, that like a performance art piece in that I say, let me know your thoughts. And then like I hop off air and I actually can't hear you on the other end. If so, brilliant. If not, just love the general delivery. I also appreciate that you too like the word pedantic. I do as well. I also do a lot of pedantic analyses. Uh, so it works. You know what's funny about that sign off? I don't even know it it came in it came to my mind actually when I was writing the original mission statement of Be There in Five. And then when I started when I did the podcast, the first like demo episode, it just like came out of my mouth. And then I stuck with it because I don't know. Like every vague marketing gal with a rom-com obsession. It's like some form of blank journalism I was interested in at one point, whether it was magazine journalism or broadcast journalism. And I think I wanted my Cronkite. Like, I think I wanted my sign-off. Walter Cronkite would say, and that's the way it is. Or uh, didn't Dan Rather? I mean, like, not that I really care about these people. Say, like, and that's a part of our world. Or my queen growing up one, Linda Ellerby not in her normal broadcast career, but on Nick News, of course, she would say, like, I'm Linda Ellerby, this is Nick News, and so it goes. Which I think is also part of a Mur- the Murphy Brown canon, but as we all know, also part of the Reputation canon. Um, regardless, I love a broadcaster. I love, you know, a Delilah love someone tonight. I love a tagline. I love a sign-off. And I think I wanted one of my own. I'll be there in five, I swear. would have probably been adequate. The, the joke with that is that it's meant to be earnest. I I like to think of my life and schedule as this, um, is it a Swedish term I once heard called a teed optimist? They have a word for being a time optimist. And it, it's a person that genuinely thinks every day they can get it all in. Like they can get lost in something and will not run out of time and traffic will be on their side, whatever. Like I am a tried and true time optimist. So- I'll be there in five, I swear. Like, I really mean it. But it also is kind of tongue-in-cheek because at the end of, like, an hour-and-a-half, two-hour episode where I've just rambled on and on, obsessed over something or a series of things, clearly I'm not—I'm in no rush to get anywhere. I take my time. But the, I'll let you know—let me know your thoughts. I'll let you know mine. It kind of just came out of my mouth, but I I kept it for liking the, the tagline— sign off but I also think that this is a weird medium that is like a one-way street which is kind of fundamentally unfair and I've just like let you know every thought I've ever had and I want you at the end of the episode to know like let let me know yours as well like I, I this isn't just about me I, I do care what you think my career is built on your backs and the only thing that changes over time is as you get more feedback and volume uh it becomes hard to weed out who's a passerby. Who has does not have good intentions and who like has well intentioned feedback? I think as a as a creator, like I have to be a bit careful. I do care so much what people think, but there is a balance of like living in this world where people really need everything you do to like, cater to their really specific preferences, and I and I can't do that. Um, anyway, it's long winded answer to say I do mean it, but the initial intent behind it was more quippy sign off. But long term, it's stuck because I think it tracks for this type of medium. They've a part <laughs> literally every episode. I say I, say, I talk about it in my book, um, but I, I talk about how it, when uh, our grade was divided into two groups in fourth grade, talented and gifted, and then normals, and I was one of the normals. I really internalized that I was one not talented, two not gifted, um, and <laughs> but I kind of pathologize how I think it's the. the it's actually not that this is not like a behind the music sob story. Rather, I think that it's messaging like that, that's kind of like, OK, you're one of the normals. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have much potential. I never really like, looked for permission or third party authorization or institutional metrics to get me to a place. I kind of had to nominate myself. So from a young age, I was just always nominating myself as talent or gifted. And I think that ending up in this podcast is kind of a funny manifestation of that because as a person, like always wanted to be like on the radio, like a Delilah type or be in broadcasting or, or have an article in a magazine or just like, I wanted to be, I wanted an element of, of my voice to be public facing. No one was ever going to hire me to do that. <laughs> so it's all very self-appointed. So I think even me giving myself a Cronkite-esque sign off, a Cronkite, if you will, it's just like another example of like, I, I had to, I had to choose over and over again to take myself seriously because nobody else was. And I kind of take pride in, um, those elements of the show that have carried throughout the past five years because I've insisted that to have this be taken seriously until it was. Um, and while the story is much more complicated than that, uh, I'm, I, I'm weirdly proud of signing off that way in on the show. And, um, in live shows and actually don't my book does not end that way which is interesting it ends on like another inside joke motif thing um anywho long-winded answer uh (laughs) maybe don't let me know your thoughts on that one but thanks for calling loved your delivery uh loved the drama i really do mean it and i would love to hear from you again so thank you hey kate lila super important question for you today do you
1: know how on the Bachelor the quote unquote villain always says, "I'm not here to make friends"? But what if you were? If you, Kate, had to go on one season of The Bachelor solely to make friends, which season would it be? All right,
0: that's it. Thanks. Bye, girl. You know what's interesting is that I, ever since I've had this podcast, I have not really been a big Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise watcher, but it does a disservice to the fact that I was the biggest fan slash historian of this franchise for the better part of 2008 to like maybe 2016. I, I, okay, I guess I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and I should just answer the question at hand. And in order to do so, I'll need, I need you, I need to take you back to, I guess, winter, 2011, January, 2011. Listen, I I was wearing colored denim with foldable ballet flats. I I was wearing hunter boots regardless of how inclement the weather was outside because they felt like a millennial Manolo at the time. I, I was racing and I mean racing to guilt group sales because I'd been successfully conned into believing that, I don't know, I guess it was. Fashion opposite day where the TJ Maxx business model for diffusion line inventory that no one else wants, when put online, somehow actually means it's stuff everyone wants. And I should therefore take time out of my corporate work day to buy something super practical, like a white leather duffel made by Halston Heritage. I, I was considering starting a blog called Dressing on the Side, where, yeah, I was going to write about my side hobby of figuring out how to dress cute. Well, also apparently balls deep in diet culture, where I was going to talk about ordering, literally ordering dressings on the side because I really still, to this day, prefer something cream-based. I was, you know, just living, laughing, loving, and lurking in Groupon's America, trying to make gal pals in a new city one god-awful Monet canvas from a paint-and-sip voucher at a time. And it wasn't easy. But I, I was the same person I am today, uh, meaning a person that's easily influenced, but without influencers at the time. Again, 2011, I had time to kill, minimal corporate disposable income, and I was ready and willing to be inspired by mega hotties on the small screen. And when I think about my original influencers, if I'm being honest, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself because this was kind of a recent revelation for me, I often talk about the cupcakes and cashmere of the world, or, you know, the barefoot blondes, the bloggers I've obsessed over, but I completely forget that my original influencers in my heart of hearts in my garden garden protect your heart of hearts, if you know the reference, is the women from The Bachelor. And weirdly, when I think about my core group of girlies, I am transported back to Brad Womack's season, which is weird. But that season specifically, I think, made me realize, per your question, that I, as a viewer, was there for the right reasons. At the time, like a lot of America, I was pretty upset with Brad, because the first time he is a generic beat-faced, bar-owning cowboy that was already uninteresting. The first time the producers thought he was the perfect fit to graze the screen, he chose no one, left both girls stranded at the altar, leading to Deanna Pappas becoming the Bachelorette, who then married one of the Stagliano twins. At the time, at my company, their dad worked there, and I remember thinking, wow, celeb much? I saw the Stagliano twins' dad at work sometimes. <laughs> um... I, I, but at the time, I was frustrated with Brad. A lot of us were. I, I, now that I had taken a step back and see the franchise for what it is, it's like, yeah, I mean, most of those early years, it was but a puppy mill of predictable douchebaggery. Um, but I think I was so uninterested in Brad Wom- Womack's retor- return, disappointed by the choice, not super like attracted to him or didn't really like believe in him and his intentions, which at the time was an important factor for me. It made me realize I was there for the girlies and I was there to make friends. And I it made me realize that the reason I like The Bachelor more than The Bachelorette isn't just because of my, you know, misogyny I had yet to work through. It was because I also liked the shows where there was more female contestants because I, I could like pick up on stuff from them. I loved watching their dynamics. I wanted to be their friend. I, I wanted to know their makeup and skincare and curling iron barrel routines. I was just starting to barrel at the time. Until I went back to a clip curling iron in the late 2010s. <laughs> it's a long story. But yeah, I'm gonna say Brad Womack season, which I, I I don't know. Maybe it's because I have an unhealthy parasocial attachment to Ashley Spivey, who many of you know and love. And I believe she was in the top 10 back then. Maybe it's because, as I've told you before on Patreon, whenever I've done beauty hauls, like I swear to God, I learned how to apply makeup because of Michelle Money. She'd like post videos on her Facebook, I think, at the time about how to like blend eyeshadow. And I was I was just a young, vague marketer with a naked palate and a dream. What am I supposed to do? Later, somebody calls in with a voicemail asking about naming trends and like mixing up and messing up people's names. And I admit that at the time I was a problematic interchanger of two women on that season. One was named Chantal and one was named Chantel. Two very different people. I think both in the top five. One a funeral director. And I couldn't keep them straight. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. OK, so the year I met Greg. His sisters the year prior had submitted him as a contestant for The Bachelor, and I mean, he was a single, cute guy in his mid twenties, worked on Wall Street. I don't know. And uh, do I think he would ever gone on the show? No. But when we when we were dating that first summer, I believe he got a call from casting. They were casting Ashley a Bear's season, Um, or was it like the first sometime the first year we were dating? I remember it being like, oh my god, brush with stardom. I don't want to hold you back from your big break. Because to me, I really believe that that was a reasonable formula, a reasonable means to find love. I didn't want to hold him back. So maybe I'm obsessed with that season because I wonder if he was the one for Ashley A. Bear this whole time and not JP. Between JP, Juan Pablo, and Jake Pavelka, a lot of JPs in that franchise. When Greg and I first met, connecting over Jake Pavelka season was a big point of um BlackBerry like BBM flirtation between us. That was an amazingly cheesy season on the wings of love. I don't think any of us saw Vienna coming and winning. And it was a big deal that I was from the same place as famed cast off Roslyn. What an inappropriate relationship with a staffer. <laughs> I think the re- uh, oh, also Kelty Knight was on that season for, who um, isn't she now like anchoring e-news? And she's also very well known in the podcast world from the lady gang. Does she is she hosting Dancing with the Stars now? I forget, but she's had quite the career. Uh, arguably not because of The Bachelor, if anything. She's the rare example of a person I think people forget was on The Bachelor. But I personally, at the time, now I know nothing about her now. I think she has a bajillion kids, to use a technical term. Um, and I think she's maybe like, like, I followed her when she was more waist belt, no loops. I'm not really as keen on the Bible Belt, belt version, because I've changed a lot since then. But I was swept away, taken, mesmerized by a young Emily Maynard. Mother of Ricky. Widow of race car driver Ricky. Purveyor of pastel pink Essie ballet slipper paws with that polish? That was when she was on The Bachelor, but I think by the time she was The Bachelor, she had taken her talents to Fiji, which to be fair, many influencers do per Wanderlust culture. But the like kind of chalky white color that now we're not doing anymore because of Tom Sandoval with his flopsy hair and gross mustache talking to gorgeous, barefaced beauty Ariana in the Scandival episode this week. I think... White Polish needs to take a backseat for a minute. I just, I loved Emily Maynard. I think that, you know, it's a pretty predictable pipeline if you watch the real world San Diego and you were taken with a young Cameron Eubanks. Why? Because we love Southern blonde girls who say the word Brad with two syllables, Briad. And Emily did the same thing. Go figure, we know how to spot a star when we see one And Cameron, would go on to Southern charm fame. But I think something about single parents in early Bachelor Nation whether Jason's Ty, Michelle's Brielle, Emily's Ricky, stuck with me in a big way. And I haven't spent a lot of time pathologizing this, but I think Emily Maynard, you know, I was newly out of Virginia and living in cities. And she was like the Southern Belle everyone like wanted you to be growing up. She like everybody around me would have like fawned over me if I was anything like her growing up. And she just was the person I never was. And she she just had such a tragic story and was very confident and calm and was so beautiful. And I just thought, I like really believed that I'd embody her gentle touch and beauty queen likeness. If I too got my mitts on uh, a Clarisonic, I don't know. That's one of the many things she convinced me to buy. At one point, I thought I needed a temp to airbrush makeup system because of her, you guys. I found out that Emily Maynard's makeup was temp to Airbrush. This is like a $400 machine. Do you know what kind of investment that is for a coupon queen? I mean, insanity. I had absolutely no business like contour baking and brightening via a foundation super soaker that came with a full engine on a Tuesday morning to ride the purple line to my corporate job. Like I was the maid of honor of, of middle management. <laughs> like <laughs> I just, I, I think that this season and her influence is distinct to me because it's one thing to like influence someone to buy nail polish, to use more of a Southern twang or even like to, to dream big ever since then I, I have had my eyes on a, f- a fresh set of veneers, but the fact that she was convincing me to buy heavy machinery is like extra funny to me. Starting with the Clarisonic that was like $100 before we ever got into Vanity Planet brush territory. And I think there's just something so interesting and fragile about that window of time. I think we talked about this on a recent episode where, I mean, yeah, Momfluence, where Instagram was like was seen as a photo editing app before it was ever used as a social network. It was just kind of this weird place where we graduated from Facebook albums and that just were designed to show everybody, whoever wronged us, every friend back in our hometown every guy who we wanted to want us that our life was so much fun where my only two goals were like to appear hot and unbothered but then like with the shift of of pinterest you know again i'm making i'm making ridiculous generalizations that are not accurate uh but i see it as like the recession hits pinterest becomes a thing more hobbyist ventures and elevating our every day through like diy projects Bloggers democratize fashion away from magazines, enabling us to have like real girls showing us like affordable style. So, even post recession, we were able to make ourselves cute and live a certain way because we had more access to ideas and relatable people. And somewhere in there is like the hipsters and the weird mustache trend, and the me listening to a lot of Mumford and Sons and the Lumineers. And then all of a sudden, I wanted to be less hot and unbothered and wanted to be like more artsy. And so, as one does, you put a dslr on a credit card you can't pay off for a good while and you take up close pictures of flowers but i was just like going to millennium park and taking up close photos of tulips uh hoping that the background leaves would appear out of focus to do what with i don't know but this was the new me always around the corner as i tell you but when instagram came along and brought us filters like valencia and the like and then tilt shift which blurred out everything on the outside and focused on one thing as if you were using a dslr We could, you could fake your way into being the artsy, more curated version of yourself without actually having to buy the hardware. Unless, of course, you were buying a 10-2 airbrush system. And I just think there's something fragile about this time, or maybe fragile about my experience during this time where I, I don't know. I, I think that my life was departing from what I wanted from it. And I wanted to be living this like aspirational curated existence that was like very popular on the internet. But like I wasn't, and I thought something was wrong with me. And I was going to great lengths and being heavily influenced to appear like this more polished version of myself who had more cultured interests, who brought tote bags to farmers markets. You know what I mean? And I think something's charming to me about the women who got famous during this time through this franchise, not only because they got my net worth tied up in like BB Dakota cardigans and like equipment blouses, <laughs> um, but they weren't in it for the clout. They weren't in it for the hair gummies, for the fit tees They weren't even in it for even in Bachelor in Paradise. I, don't, I think like maybe like there have been one season of Bachelor Pad, but it would be years before people really realized this was an ideal fast track to fame and followers and I think I, I look back on this time charmingly because it felt like they were there for the right reasons. um, And I felt like I loved watching these women on TV and I was there for the right reasons. And all the while nowadays, I don't blame anybody for going for the wrong reasons. In fact, I think you should exclusively go for the wrong reasons. I would if I was younger, more sprightly and single. My God, the fame and followers. that That is, as a person who's tried to build a following for many, many years, if you can find a fast track, by all means. Um, but back then I really think that I was delusional enough to think that the, the franchise was a reasonable formula for finding love. And I, and I really fell for so much of what they were selling, but <sighs> I don't know why, because up until that point, the show had a God awful track record. Like I, I really didn't become disenchanted with it till like the mid 2010s, which is weird. Uh, but I, and I I do feel like when Jason left Melissa Rycroft for Molly Mullaney, that was kind of a millennial moon landing. Like, I remember where I was, just like when Lauren didn't go to Paris. Um, But I I it didn't start with Emily Maynard's season. Like, I, in my head, that's almost later because I loved Jillian Harris. She kind of coaches, coach, 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 and coaches vibes now. Do we feel that way? No? Yes? Jillian Harris. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> if If you could convince me to drop a hundo when I was barely had any disposable income on a pillow that says my whole heart for my whole life, it was burlap. Under no circumstances does burlap belong beneath our cheeks or even on our lap? where and honestly, in my world, most pillows belong because I can't have a comfortable conversation with you unless a pillow's on my lap. But I spent a lot on this burlap <laughs> pillow that said my whole heart for my whole life. And another one that was the lyrics to you are my sunshine. um. Jillian Harris's style and her like restaurant decor biz and stuff. I mean, I just I ate it up and I'm still very happy for her. I'm still like a passive follower. I just don't know as much of what she's up to these days. But I followed her in a in a big, big way. And it's crazy that Molly and Jason are still together now that I think about it. And I also really like Kelly Kennedy and I went hard for Tenley Moles. (laughs) (laughs) Tenley and Kipton, we thought they'd be together forever. Within days, I mean, days of her moving to Southern California, I think we texted. I just I just wanted to re- remind her like make sure she was still on high alert for a Kipton sighting in or outside of Encinitas. Anyway, guys, I, I have such an affinity for <laughs> this era and I don't know if it's because of where I was or because I'm maligning their intentions which isn't fair either. I just at the time you can do a lot with this fame and a lot of them stood the test of time, which good for them. Regardless, good times, great oldies. If you're wondering, I, th- I struggled to pinpoint exactly where I dropped off from my bachelor interest. I don't think the show changed. I think I changed and I saw it for what it was. I saw it for a lot of the problems it had. I really liked the arc they started going for. Like, Remember Andy at the time was positioned as like a career woman lawyer, but she's, I think she dropped out of law like after being on the show. And then I just thought Rachel Lindsay, she was a really good lead. And I remember being very wrapped up in the Peter of it all. Who ended up getting Bachelor from that season? Wait. Was it Nick V? Honestly, maybe I dropped off because it's in podcasting, it's Nick V's world and we're all just living in it. Does he have like a direct line to producers from Love is Blind? He well, how does he get like every exclusive interview? I don't know. Um. Who was after Rachel, though? Because I did watch Rachel's season. I feel like we were all very wrong about Brian. That that was a deceiving editing trick. But they're still together. Jojo and Jordan. So we were. I was also wrong about Jojo and Jordan. I I thought that was like such a plant, and I'm still so interested what happened between Jordan and his brother Aaron. I mentioned Tyler Cameron earlier. So may, did I watch part of Hannah Brown season? Regardless, I think that sometime between 2018 and 2019, I dropped off. And the only thing I can really blame for me becoming a little bit disillusioned is uh, when they tried to earnestly convince me that Becca Cuffren thought that the best place to go find love was Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> now, <laughs> I grew up there. I love RVA. Um, but when you see the, a place you know well, described through the lens of like tourism marketing, and they they expect you to believe it. All of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute. Were they not really that passionate about the badlands that whole time? What about the That cameo in Santa Fe, is that not the perfect place to find love? And I remember hearing this segment and just thinking, I think I'm out. I think I'm out. (laughs) It's like, ooh, is that a statue of Patrick Henry? Give me liberty or give me till death to us part, am I right? I was like, what? Hold on. Can we just play this segment? It's so funny to me.
3: We are in Richmond, Virginia. Feels good to be outdoors. I mean, it's filled with <laughs> history. <laughs> Virginia is for lovers, so it is the perfect place for me with the guys this week. Totally. Richmond, Virginia. It's like you get a big city feel, but you're, but you're still out in the country. <laughs> yeah, Beck and I definitely <laughs> want to make some history here. You are
0: here. Oh, wow. want, Beck and I want That's to make so some history. <laughs> Virginia, the land of lovers, hopefully will bring everything I can imagine and more.
3: Today, Jason and I are going to be bopping around Virginia. We're going to be exploring Richmond and learning more about the city. Here is to exploring Richmond together and to so many good surprises today. I can't wait. Cheers. Cheers. So where Virginia are we? At? We're at the Poe Museum. Wow. This is
0: Edgar Allan Poe Museum, you guys.
3: Edgar Allan Poe spent a lot of time in Richmond. There's even a Poe Museum here in town. I thought we would get out of Richmond today and just explore Virginia from the sky. Sounds
2: absolutely
3: perfect. Flying over Virginia, over the Chesapeake Bay, (laughs) it's beautiful. (laughs) Today, I have a really great day planned for the guys. We are at the Capitol building (laughs) because Virginia is the birthplace of the nation. So I'm hoping that Maybe be the birthplace of some lasting love for me. I love historical towns. There's something just so exciting but mysterious and unique about mixing the old with the new. Virginia is for lovers! Virginia (laughs) is for lovers!
0: Anyway, I think that's where I said for that reason I'm out. Honestly, I think it's maybe just super unrealistic to go to Richmond, Virginia and not marble at the nation's nicest Arby's. <laughs> with what eighteen thousand dollars a piece, anatomically correct bull topiaries? Now I think it's maybe seen better days, but you do still sit at nice leather booths, booths with low lamp lighting, and there is a fireplace, and it does look like a ski lodge. Would love to rewatch Jason Mesnick season, Jake Pavelka season, Brad Womack season uh and again i know that sounds misogynistic because that's the bachelor not the bachelorette but i think the dynamics between women would be really interesting to rewatch. at the time i was simply not viewing them through a feminist lens whatsoever anyways that would be a dream re- rewatch of mine thanks for the question i'm always here to make friends now i would be here to make followers but friendships too uh that'd be ni- that'd be nice um and that was a fun walk down memory lane
2: Hi Kate, it's Elizabeth calling from California and I recently had my first child and I want to know when did mama start? When did mama become trendy? When did we go from being mom or mommy to everyone saying hey mama? It seems like the progression from hey girl to hey mama and there's some type of MLM Venn diagram overlap there as well. But I have strangers calling me mama now. um And I'm just wondering when did mama progress to pop culture?
0: Thanks. <laughs> this is a, sorry. a really good question, and one that I feel like probably was addressed in one of the two books we just reviewed on the podcast, Mom Influenced or Hey Hun. But you're right, we aren't, we aren't a big mama era. And I don't have the answer to that, but I guess I wanted to answer this voicemail just to say, I hear you and I see you. And it's happening to me a lot more lately, and I don't know how to feel about it. And I want to know how people would feel if I did the same, but just started calling everybody around me who appeared pregnant or to have kids, "Mama," Because <laughs> see, even mama, like is, I don't know. I, I think since maybe I don't self-identify first that way. Like, I, on the one hand, I don't really care. I I think most people mean well. The first, I think maybe I have negative associations with it because that's what AC Slater always called Jesse Spano. And I don't know. AC Slater is like patient zero for 90s teenage sitcom chauvinistic pigs. And I just find him triggering. Uh, he always called her mama. But it is the MLME in a way that I can't really put my finger on. It's like a term of endearment that implies motherhood in a way that seems funky? <laughs> no, that's not the right word. <laughs> I need to do research, but good question. I'm going to let this marinate. But it's kind of like how before I wanted to commit to like when dudes my age were starting entrepreneurial ventures, I wanted to be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You're such a boy boss." Um, I think I'm going to start calling Greg and other men in my life That are or having kids. Papa in a saucy manner. Hey, Papa. I mean, it goes back to the advertising. I cannot believe how overtaken my feeds are. How his is utterly unchanged. It would would delight me to my core if his Instagram reels were like, Hey, Papa, you ready to be a full-time nail tech? Don't go for those baby nail clippers. You got to get that electric file, which I registered for, but I still haven't gotten. I think I'm going to spring for the $18 myself. I can't believe how little he has advertised baby products. So I'm by the time we start to have a conversation about something we're gonna buy, I'm I'm a month and a half into researching it. I'm like, he's telling me he likes some sort of crib. And I'm like, uh, okay, child neglect, party of one. Is that wood ethically sourced? And he's like, What are you talking about? And I'm like, I don't know. I just I get down these rabbit holes and I, people convince me of these things I need that I don't really know that I need. And then I act like he's preposterous for not understanding the difference between a swaddle and a sleep sack, even though I'm not totally sure I do. The baby straight jackets are a whole different conversation. Also, I think I told you guys I recently watched somebody clean a breast pump. And I said, how often do you do that? Because it took them like 10, 15 minutes. And they said, every time. I was like, who the fuck has time to clean all those parts every time they pump? I mean, honestly, we should be paid to repopulate the earth. This is so much work. I can't believe how much work it looks like to clean and sterilize bottles. That, that is honestly what I've been hung up on for the longest time now. That is the most intimidating. <laughs> Raising a child doesn't intimidate me as much as somebody with as poor executive functioning skills as I have and who is tasked with like sterilizing and cleaning a lot of teeny little parts to keep track of to feed someone because like it matters and bacteria is a problem and I have to take it seriously, but I am not cut out for that kind of menial labor who is I, I uh, I can't get into that right now. I was just listening to, you know, solidarity and other people that are same stage pregnant as me is helpful. And Jackie Schimmel is like a month ahead of me, I think. And she, uh, (laughs) her imitating people saying mama, it just sends me. It's so good because it is weird when you're still you, and it's almost this branding of you as a mama. And that when, especially now when I don't have a kid yet, I'm just not. I don't identify with as well, <laughs> so I don't really know how to respond to it. Um, but also, people are so well intentioned. Like you're doing great, mom, and I'm like honestly, thank you because I don't feel like I'm doing great when my jawline is vanishing before my eyes. Not that it matters, but I'm still me and. I, I don't know Well, I've, I've spent the past five years gua shying and like electrocuting myself with machines because I already have issues with my jawline and it's just like gone now due to facial swelling. And then so many of you reassure me that, you know, that happens, but you'll feel like yourself again. And then I also am fascinated by the segment of the population. <laughs> Speaking of times when I'll let you know my thoughts and I don't want to, you to let me know yours. Um, people keep medically diagnosing me in ways that like, I swear to God, I'm going to the doctor and I'm getting my vitals taken. I just want to know if anybody had tips for the facial swelling, or if it's just like if it is what it is, fine. I don't want to face Zamboni myself to death. If it, if I, if I'm puffy for the next few months, so be it. Or if there was like a way to actively combat it. And then you know, there's always a segment that's like, oh, you have preeclampsia. Do you have gestational, gestational diabetes? And then, and then the pop culture person in me doesn't really know anything medical, and I'm like. Oh well, Sybil died of preeclampsia in Downton Abbey. As if that should be my go-to proxy. And if any of those things happen, fine, I'll deal with it with medical professionals privately. Like these things happen in pregnancy, and are nobody's fault, and there are things we deal with. And uh, I just—it's weird when people out of context are like diagnosing you, your symptoms, or your body um, because of being out of breath to go fetch rice cakes, or like on my Instagram stories because I'm trying to get my steps in and go on walks. Sometimes I'll story while walking and be out of breath and. I mean the hypertension I am diagnosed with left and right is quite shocking. Um and honestly maybe you'll turn out to be right but as of now I'm good and I promise but thank you for the diagnosis. <laughs> that's why I'm vague about mental health stuff too. I'm like I just I know we're v- Brené Brown valuing vulnerability but it is weird when people overstep boundaries <laughs> and use your vulnerability as a means to be like no that's incorrect let me uh armchair or rather thumb scroll diagnose you and it just gets a bit tricky. Anywho, shout out to all you meemaws out there. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> you know, it's tough when your audience is like diagnosing your health problems and I diagnose myself all the live long on TikTok or Reels and you know, if you're stewing about a health problem you have forego social media, forego the group group chat, j- just go straight to ZocTalk. It's so easy. There are thousands of medical professionals on ZocTalk there to help you and ZocTalk is the only free app that lets you find and book Doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Not only can you find a doctor through the free app to book one near you who fits your needs and your schedule and takes your insurance, which is a long phone process otherwise. There's also millions of people that have reviewed doctors, which if you're going to look up reviews for like a restaurant or like tell, I'll, I'll scour the reviews of a botanical garden to make sure the aesthetic vibes aren't off. But for medical care, to <laughs> forego reading reviews when they can be at your fingertips. I mean, this app just makes too much sense, and I use it all the time. And since I've been less mobile lately, I've been using it for virtual visits, which I love too. And with Zocdoc, you can choose from thousands of patient-reviewed doctors and specialists, browse their profiles, upload and verify your insurance to get the care you need. And if you go to zocdoc.com/slash be there in five and download the Zocdoc app for free, then find a book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours at zocdoc.com/slash be there in five. ZocDoc.com slash be there in five. Have any of you long-legged girlies ventured into Cozy Earth pajamas yet? Please tell me you have. Well, any sized people, <laughs> doesn't matter. Cozy Earth is a an advertiser new as of this year, and they're betting their pajamas and everything in between. The name Makes sense because they have the coziest products on earth. I mean, they're one of Kate's favorite things, which I hope holds weight. But more importantly, they've been featured on Oprah's favorite things. All their products are made from responsibly sourced viscose from bamboo. Cozy Earth bedding is temperature regulating and is available also in bamboo and in in linen. And temperature regulating is huge for me, especially at this phase of my life. And uh, I don't know. I just looked for luxurious sheets that didn't pill that were soft, but not. Cheap and wouldn't fall apart upon washing them, and I just have trouble with scratchy feeling sheets. And Cozy Earth bamboo sheets are my favorite thing ever. And their loungewear, oh my god, you guys provides optimal comfort while maintaining an elegant fit. I feel like I can let the dog out and go get the mail in these pajamas. You know, I've never really been a matching pajamas girl, but I am forever changed. And they offer a plush collection as well as a waffle collection, and like their premium bath product line, which is cool too. In addition to their loungewear and bedding. And whether you want to get it as a gift for somebody else, a housewarming gift, whether you're like me in 3D printing a human and just want to be cozy all the time, there I don't really think you ever need a reason or an excuse to sleep in cozy sheets or wear cozy pajamas. And I am a huge, huge fan of this brand. And Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today, 35% off site wide at CozyEarth.com when you use code BE THERE IN FIVE. That's 35% off site-wide co- at CozyEarth.com when you use code BETHEREIN5. Hey,
2: Kate, a long-time listener, first-time caller. Now that you are in this stage, what do you think of baby name trends? My husband and I just had our first child, and we gave him a name that we thought was really easy for English speakers. My husband's first language is not English. It's also a name in their language, but it's also an English name. It's just pronounced differently depending on the language. Um, Nobody knows how to say his name when they see it written down. No one. (laughs) And so we've started using a nickname, but I'm kind of sad that he is losing that cultural heritage. So what are your thoughts on naming trends in general, as well as specific Names reflecting your child's heritage that people have to
0: learn how to say.
2: Is this something that he's going to struggle with his whole life? I don't know.
0: Thanks. Thanks for calling. This is an interesting topic, and I guess there's two parts of it. One is naming trends in general, right? And the second piece is placing value in a name being easy to pronounce at the expense of cultural heritage or the culture of origin that the name is associated with that is a really important piece of a person's identity. I'll let me do the second part first, because I do want to say that I think that this is a really interesting conversation and one that I'm not best equipped to say, if this is something you should or should not do, because I'm not a person that's experienced it directly. I could get, what I want to do is get on my high horse and be like, we should not be favoring the oppressor that cannot take the time to learn somebody's name and that is making somebody else feel inferior because perhaps their name is not it's not intuitive to someone who English is their first language. Like in a perfect world, I don't want anybody to have to alter any element of their name or identity for the convenience of someone else when they don't even have the courtesy to try and learn it. But I know that's like oversimplifying the issue and I can't speak to how these interactions, especially as children, I don't think children have always have like the depth or the wherewithal to acknowledge when just because something is different does not mean it's weird or strange or a cause for bullying. I think that in environments where there are adults, you know, schools, sports, activities, etc., it's so, so important to take the time to learn people's names and to pronounce them right to their peers. Uh, But peer-to-peer interactions, I don't know how that goes. I don't know what that feels like. And I don't want to say it's something abbreviated as something you should or shouldn't do because experiencing that in the context of like racial microaggressions or whatever, or like even in the workplace, I remember having a conversation once with someone that was like, uh, that feels like their work is not acknowledged the way other people's uh, would be publicly. And they wondered if like, it was a function of their name being difficult to pronounce (laughs) and people like avoiding it altogether. All that to say, like, I just, I don't know when you really take a step back and you're like, Okay, the names that are perhaps more intuitive because for people in an English speaking country to say because they're common or quite honestly, because they're Eurocentric. Like, how messed up is that? These are names of people that immigrated here, too. And yet we've like normalized that these are acceptable and these other names aren't. And it just I don't know it. That's a complicated conversation where I think you have to be careful when you talk about names, because there is a lot of like fodder and humor to be found in some modern spellings of names and things people make up and celebrity names, whatever. But I think the conversation can get racist quite fast. And people don't understand the place of origin that a name might come from. And even though I don't think, you know, abbreviating or changing your name for the convenience of somebody who's in the wrong is the right thing to do. If it's the thing that makes you move through the world more easily I'd be interested to hear firsthand from a person who did that uh, instead of what me, Catherine Kennedy, would have to say about this issue. Anyways, I wanted to air your voicemail because I think that's an interesting comment. And I totally understand your disappointment at a loss of identity that comes along with abbreviating it. And I would just take cues from people that have experienced it uh, to, I guess, understand better if the um, convenience is worth it to avoid some of the unfortunate byproducts of people being insensitive or unaccommodating to a name that's outside of their like frame of reference. Um, to answer the first part of your question. I think it's thought provoking. And I think it's an important thing to remember. And it's important for all of us to remember, especially when interacting with children to ask somebody to repeat their name, if you don't catch it the first time to be intentional. in when you meet people, I think about that all the time, because I feel so in my head, and I'm like, calculating a bunch of different things when I'm talking to someone. Sometimes I don't catch their name and this is something that's like on an iPhone note top of my to-do list and I'm like especially when I meet like listeners and stuff in the wild I really want to be better at like remembering people. And I say this as a person with one many Beths I meet in the wild have western millennial girl names. It's like if lost just call out for a, a, a an Emily, a Lauren, Laura, a Kristen, a Whitney, a Sarah. Katie Kate, <laughs> like just the, we many uh, naming trends were very much alive and well in the eighties and nineties, and like obviously this is very different than somebody not knowing or mispronouncing your name because of being culturally insensitive. But I'd say like the issues I've experienced with naming have more to do with I think that a name like Kate or Katie is pretty common to that to where it's an unmemorable. I feel like going from Katie to Kate was also really confusing for people. And then, what's the most confusing for people is that I never changed my name when I got married. Like that just never stays with people. So, names are interesting because, again, I'm not claiming that I've had the experience of somebody experiencing insensitivity toward their name. Rather, I've just witnessed how, in other contexts, it's very hard for people to self correct when there is a change and you just want to drop one letter or syllable or your name never changed. (laughs) So like, names are a weird thing that like people have trouble with. I, in fact, I addressed all of my, I have the reverse problem where my friends that I've known throughout life or throughout college or whatever, I never changed their names in my phone and they're them to me. And I think since I didn't change my name, I think of people as their maiden names. And like, I sent my sister-in-law a list of invites for my baby shower and she was like, these aren't their last names. And I was like, oh my God. I didn't even notice that. So like I'm doing the thing that I hate was done to me and people realize my name isn't changed. I I, I didn't allow theirs to be. Names are weird, you guys, is my point. Um, So I guess, yeah, my the first part, I think it's important to take cues from people that have experienced that firsthand even though on principle I want to say it's so, so shitty that anybody would have to forego an element of their identity for the convenience of those around them who should be taking the time to learn it. I don't know what that feels like. Um, In general with names, I think what's so interesting is like we name babies, but babies become kids who become adults and they like live most of their life as adults. So that's something I've been trying to keep in mind with names because I think I can skew cutesier and I don't even like, who cares? I, I think I don't know. Uh, on the one hand, I think naming can get like so out of hand. Then I also think we're really kind of harsh and mean about it in ways we don't necessarily need to be because people have their reasons <laughs> when things seem like arbitrary or spelled in a really challenging manager man manner for sport. Like what we joke about with like Utah spelling. Um, I mean, yeah, it becomes kind of a different conversation, which I guess maybe speaks to more of the first part of the question, just general naming trends. Um, okay, so on my TikTok is full of naming trends that are so odd to me because they're like old money names. I'm like old money names. First of all, yikes, as we talked about in Beth behavior, the etiquette episode. And I think briefly, um, what we talked about Sophia's Richie's wedding in some other context that I'm now forgetting. And just even maybe it's a six six succession of it all or whatever, but the stealth wealth is like having a moment, but Again, we don't need to get into it, Um, but old money names is extra funny to me because it's like, okay, it's like branding your, I don't know how to explain it. I could brand my kid as old money, but I'm not. So therefore they won't be. So yeah, I could name my son Bartholomew, but like, does it, does it matter of another adult's perception? If baby Bart over here, like, attends Chicago public schools and has a small addiction to screen time, like, he eats glue. He doesn't have a diversified stock portfolio. I don't really know what, <laughs> like, I want I want my daughter to have a name that subtly implies we use summer as a verb and that we can afford equestrian sports. It's just like, what do you mean by that? I understand skewing more traditional, if that's your preference. I understand picking something that is in the family. I understand just picking something that you straight up like, but I think the idea of branding your kid <laughs> as alter new money is hilarious. But I think in general, naming trends makes sense. I think what we have to remember about trends is that as adults, no one is named something and it might seem really original, but that doesn't mean that everyone else are, isn't naming their baby that and you haven't like met other babies yet. <laughs> so I guess that's why people pay attention to like the name berries of the world. But even like when I go on those websites, the top 20 names, there are several names that I don't actually know any kid named that. And if I chose that, I would think it's extremely original. But, it, you know, when your kid goes to kindergarten, there's going to be five others in the class, which also I don't like that's OK, too. I I just think names are a funny thing to have a hot take about, because no matter what, you're not going to choose it perfectly and somebody else is going to hate what you pick. <laughs> and it's just everyone is a little bit different. I. I haven't re- like I've always liked the same names I so mine isn't really a branding effort as much as I just have always had an ongoing iPhone note of names I really like and I've always had the same boy names I found girl names to be harder for some reason which I usually find that people say the opposite but uh I don't know I think also as a person that's like experienced loss and like it was kind of a long road to get here I don't love like treating a baby that isn't born yet as like fodder for I don't know you guys it's just like being pregnant has made me even feel differently about like guessing celebrity baby names and whatever because it's like it's such a sensitive private thing and um then you think about people like making fun of the name or whatever and it's like oh my god this is a human being you know (laughs) i just so i i do feel differently about the name conversation now being in a position where i'm naming a, a person um but my taste has not really changed i've always liked the same names and it'll kind of be a combo of a name I like with a family name, even though I'm not like a hundred percent on one, I I'm, I'm willing to let my mind change uh, or meet them and think differently. That some people do say you meet them and they're not, they're not the name you give them. Uh, I just use Renesme because it's easier to call it by name, but I think that confuses people because it implies it's a girl. So I don't know. I think, Naming trends are like helpful because then you won't be surprised if you. It helps you see what other people are naming their kids right now. So you won't be surprised if that name is repeated a lot in class. But I often find myself shocked at what's popular because there aren't things I would pick. But I also am not going to say I'm the arbiter of taste here because I just don't think I think that I've I've pretty like uh, boring taste in names. <laughs> um, actually, there there's a part I cut out of out of my. Book about. I don't know, something with Twilight that was like so not important. But I kind of not deep dove, but I did a little bit more research into what I call Utah spelling because I, I think it's an interesting phenomenon um that the names that are oftentimes the most I don't even know if modern's the right word, but like that have the most unconventional, they're like conventional names, unconventional spellings or inanimate objects. Often there's a tie to people being. Utah based or like associated with the LDS church um in a way that like I can't scientifically prove but I was trying to like I think I was trying to say that it helped me understand uh the origin of Renesme being like a weird compound word of the two mom's names and when I found out that twilight was essentially what I think is a mormon allegory name was Renesme made a lot more sense and then when I was looking into it I was kind of looking at the origin of the meme. You remember the meme with the Utah mom standing in front of a chalkboard and the crossed out names are Tay Lee, spelled T-A-Y-L-L-E, McCarty, Navy, N-A-Y-V-I-E, Maylee, Lakin is the one circled L-A-K-Y-N-N and that's the final choice. Um, and then I went through this Twitter thread where somebody was going through their son's yearbook in Utah and it kind of reiterated that like there's something specific um, I don't know if I. I don't know if it's culturally to Mormonism. can I I have other hobbies. I swear. Um, where like the Madisons, were M I M A D I S Y N M A D Y S E N, you know, Aaron is A E R Y N. Their names like Keldricks, Tacey, or Macy Lynn. That like th- those three names seem to be like two names combined. Like I don't would Kelly and Hendricks be Keldricks or Taylor and Macy be tasty. I'm not sure, but when you dig deeper, there's always more to the story, and when you think about it, Utah has the highest birth rate in the nation, and many women are young when they get married and have children younger than the national median and To be that young, entrusted with a permanent decision inside of a community with such a high volume of babies where finding distinction is hard um I think that's why there's a tendency to seek uniqueness and creativity in spelling and style, even if the name, like, sounds um, somewhat common. If I named my kids in my early 20s when I was still pretending I had been to Paris via my TJ Maxx wall art or my obsession with the hills, like, I'd have a teenager running around right now named Justin Bobby. Like, it is different depending on how old you are and your frame of reference for your community. And... I do think that it's telling that young age, high birth rate, lots of the same names would yield this being like culturally common to seek out a uh, unique spelling to provide your child some distinction. And that makes me more empathetic because, as we've talked about endlessly, I don't, th- you know, I think people don't always realize how relative to the rest of the world, how like truly young they are to be getting married and having children. Um, not to say they re- regret their kids' names. I mean, I salute you. This is the other hard thing about talking about names. I don't want to insult anybody. Um, I, you know, for me, I like the supermarket test. Uh, I did the same thing when naming a dog at the dog park. Uh, how does it feel to scream out the name? And uh, some people like to say, you know, I think of myself replying to an email to somebody with that name. Not as it means to be judgmental, but just like in terms of. How in your head, how old is that person? Or I don't know, whatever prejudgments you have. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm without my uh, hot takes. I just think you have to prepare for your kid to go through like, uh, I mean, I don't know about other kids. I went through major phases where I desperately wanted to change my name. At one point, I really when I was really into figure skaters, I wanted to go. I wish my name was Kerrigan, but I wanted to go by Carrie. I had a big Christie stage. I think I had a big Crystal stage. Um, Tiffany with an I stage because of Kelly Packard's character in California Dreams. All those would have been lovely names, by the way. But I never meant to make my mom feel bad for not choosing them. I just like always wanted to explore my identity and change my name. And I don't know if kids still do that or go through that, but um, I feel like for a lot of people, it's something you learn to like appreciate or like more as you get older and when you're younger you always wish it was something else um anyways this is like the most long-winded answer I don't even know if I answered your question but thanks for calling this is where I say like yeah I'm gonna this is where I feel like it's unfair I let you know too many of my thoughts and you barely even get to let me know yours but um that was a thought-provoking question I appreciate it since I wake up every two hours I'm pretty much living in glasses and not contacts these days I'm so grateful to pair eyewear just like for letting me spice up my life, add some creativity. And pair eyewear is awesome because you can snap on and off a new look in in seconds, like literally. They were on Shark Tank. I mean, that should say enough. The sharks love it. I love it. Basically, with pair eyewear, you can switch up your style in a snap with affordable base frames and magnetic top frames starting at just $25. So like the whole look, you can get multiple looks with the same pair of glasses for under $100, including Your prescription, and you can try them on online. They have like a virtual try on if you were curious. I currently, while I sit here, I'm wearing one called the Kirby. I also love one called the Reese. And you get the base frame that has your prescription, but you can snap on and off different like colors or patterns that match the frame. But also, you can do blue light blocking glasses or my favorite sunglasses. So I only travel with one pair of prescription glasses, and then I can snap on the sunglasses when I'm on a plane which I absolutely love. I think this is really fun, not only for gals like me, but they have looks for men, for women, for kids. I think the kids piece is really fun if they're getting used to glasses. They have timeless choices if that's what you prefer, but they also have like superheroes and sports teams and sparkles. And I don't know, I just think it's a really cute brand that is an affordable option to change up your look for those of you that need corrective lenses. If you want to bring more color into your world this spring with parent eyewear, go to PairEyewear.com slash be there in five for fifteen percent off your first purchase. That's pair, P A I R, eyewear.com slash be there in five.
2: Hi, Kate. Um, brevity is not always my strong suit, so apologies in advance if this question is a little long, but something I've been thinking a lot about lately is privacy and the ways that we interact with privacy, both in personal lives and as we interact with the media. I've had a lot of conversations about Harry and Megan lately. Um, apologist level conversations because I think that, uh, they got out of a bad situation. But, um, it's interesting to compare William and Kate and their, like, lockdown level of privacy versus Harry and Megan's willingness to be open and vulnerable. And I'm curious what you think as, um, we interact with public figures and their differing levels of privacy and how that impacts our parasocial relationships as well. I am someone who values really strongly vulnerability and openness, and I'm trying to learn what the like. I'm trying to understand why people value privacy so strongly. I can see in this situation, um, like royal situation, there's a lot at stake. But um, also, I'm just curious, like how that impacts freedom. And I would love to hear your thoughts on how we interact with various public figures and different levels of privacy, um, things that they reveal about their. Um, private lives, influencers, um, celebrities, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you.
0: Thanks for calling. This is such a complicated question. I guess I have thoughts as like a commentator and a fan and as like a person that talks about themselves publicly. I think the thing people forget is that a right to a level of privacy and the choice to be in a public-facing career, um, are not those. those are not conflicting ideals. I think they can coexist, and I think that what the public feels entitled to also should be kind of a reflection of your role and impact on their lives in terms of, like, are you a publicly elected official? Are you in a position of power and authority that you can exert over people? Uh, there's There are reasons that certain disclosures are in place for publicly elected officials. I've always found the confusing role of the royal family being like figureheads and public servants getting away with a lack of transparency and like a never complain, never explain vibe when like one of their own is accused of like being a pedophile, for example. It's like, Well, maybe now is the time you explain and not when like Will and Harry get in a spat. But okay, I think that I guess the biggest thing I would want to get across that I believe, regardless of what position you're in, is that I think public figures have the right to privacy and the right to draw their own boundaries. And the way I understand it is that boundary, in most cases for people, is consent is control over what is being revealed about their private lives. And when I say private lives, the aspects of their life that is not intended for public consumption, that is not a product for public consumption, that is not a project they're working on, so on and so forth. I think commentary about what people consent to put out in the world is fair game. Where it starts to feel gross is intrusive efforts and stories digging up things that are not necessarily within the scope of what this person trades on <laughs> with the world. And that's where being a celebrity or an influencer is confusing because you are trading on your person, <laughs> who you are as a person. And with that comes a level of interest in your personal life and your personal details. And I think. Where people get themselves in trouble is if you, you know, give a mouse a cookie, they'll want a glass of milk, sure, but they'll also be sticking around for the tea, hoping that something unfolds that is interesting, scandalous, clickbait worthy, that can be revealed that's by no means in the public figure's best interest, but of interest to the public. And I, I think any human can understand how weird and violating that would be. To have something that they didn't want out there, or they didn't consent to being out there, being monetized, exploited, and profited on by other people that don't give a shit about you, that don't see your humanity. They just see you as a meal ticket, forgetting that, like, you're a very real person dealing with the repercussions of this thing. Like, I think we all get that. But that said, like, I, as well as many of you, we all participate in the celebrity gossip machine to a degree. And what's confusing is, A lot of celebrities feed and fuel that machine because it contributes to their relevance, their ability to get projects, to their bottom line. And and it's really hard, since so much of the game is shrouded in in secrecy and discretion, it's so hard to know what people are directly involved in and how far they go for their own self-promotion versus what is genuinely intrusive. And I think sometimes even that, the nature of how misleading that is, makes us really not trust or respect famous people in their boundaries. I mean, I, I've i talked about how I have, like, the further I've gotten into this career, I've started to feel weird about really inflammatory, like, blind items or, um, you know, the kind of gossip girl-esque, like, anyone can say anything on the internet and you publish it, kind of like I did with James Marsden. That meets my statute of limitations for, like, this is an old story and anecdote. And I did confirm that, surprisingly, in the aughts when I wasn't paying attention, there were... Plenty of articles about him potentially cheating. I guess they didn't think he was a celebrity people gossiped about, but maybe he was back in the day. And, like, I do think there's an element of, if it's your story to tell, if it's your experience, you didn't sign an NDA. I don't know. That that comes back to the position of power of it all. You know, should you feel, like, silenced or you can't share with people because somebody's a public figure. But it's just kind of funny, because I feel like I'll get sent kind of Gossip items, and I just don't know what to do with them because, I mean, again, I'm not like withholding news from you. There've just been a few times where someone like has said they're a source of something that's like, whoa, kind of like a big accusation. I think you, ha- when you're not as big and powerful as these people are, like you have to be careful to protect yourself, and. That's I kind of am amazed by spill the tea type accounts and meme accounts and TikToks that will just like say anything because I don't really want the responsibility or the liability. And this kind of goes back to the power piece, too. Like I don't have the money to take something on if people are going to be litigious. It doesn't always feel worth it. I think some of the stuff people share on the Internet, I feel nervous for them If, if they don't have the journalistic background of like adequate fact checking and stuff that would like hold up in. Court, just in case something happened. You just don't want to see somebody get buried or intimidated, which is a shitty thing to do. Period. Like, I think there are examples of celebrities that try to kind of get people to stop talking about them for topics that are like so fully fair game, and they need to relax. It's tricky because I feel funny, more funny about privacy, the less private I've become. Because you just have an interaction with one weird person, it's over. You just, you know, it just takes feeling violated one time to be like, oh, I need to peel back. Like I. They say, you know what you sign up for, but I actually do not think you know how slimy, weird, uncomfortable and intrusive it feels to have somebody overstep a boundary until it happens. But at the same time, I don't have as I do have trouble having empathy for people that like have. uh, Okay, if you have a publicist, (laughs) that that is a that is a choice to publicize your life. To have a persona, to have a public-facing image. It gets confusing when people very much participate in the game of their own image. But I think when people, like, want all the benefits of fame and fortune and publicity, yet accept zero of the downsides, it gets a little, like, eye rolly. I do think money and power have something to do with, like, what you should be expected to withstand. Not that that strips you of your humanity, but I think that al- along with the, um, amassing a lot of money and power because of your public-facing persona, there's a level to be expected of chatter that you just like have to deal with. And I would hope that that is offset by how much money you're making and how that contributes to your ability to hire out some insularity that protects you. Whereas I think what's scary for content creators or smaller content creators like myself is you want to like participate in this ecosystem, but without the money, power, or ability to like defend and protect yourself. So What might be like a fun thing to share on the podcast uh, could get me a few extra downloads, but it's not going to get me the kind of cash I would need to feel like harassment is (laughs) worse (laughs) yet. I'm not perfect at this. There are countless times when I've gone for the interest of the people listening and not necessarily the interest of the person I'm talking about. Most of the time, my boundaries, it's like, okay... Rachel Hollis selling marital advice while her marriage was secretly crumbling. You know, Taylor Swift writing confessional song lyrics about her personal life, bringing us into her personal life through orchestrated paparazzi shots and clues dropped in song lyrics and liner notes and things that, like, are just obvious public knowledge that have to do with her discography that, independent of her telling us to stay out of her, like, specific relationship when she was with Joe all kind of felt like fair game because she admittedly openly has made it a part of like marketing her work, even if it bit her in the ass eventually. So to your question about what, not not that what we're entitled to know, but like what areas of someone's personal life we can participate in, I think it's a function of what they've opened up to us, but it gets very confusing when they open and close and open and close. And I think people constantly fight about what's on the table to talk about retailer swift because depending on what you're holding on to there have been times where she's let us in and times where she shut us out and then people will stay in one of those camps and use it as a means to dismiss any conversation in between i think now that she's an example of someone we're struggling with or okay i should talk speak for myself she's a person that i tend to struggle with because i think that There are countless examples where she has very obviously um, leveraged her personal life as a promotional tool, and she knows how to hide and chooses when not to. Not that she should have to, but, like, she lets us in a little bit, but then will kind of, like, shame us and shun us for caring. And I find that cycle to be really maddening. I'll get to her in a second because I feel like I can't not at least snorkel the Maddie Healy situation, even though it's, like, very layered. But with general privacy, I think Megan and Harry, you brought up in the voicemail, you also brought up vulnerability. There's so many things I could say about this. Back to Harry Megan. During their Oprah interview, I thought it made a ton of sense. Say what you want about them. But she was like, nobody on this planet, like everyone deserves a right to privacy in that you can want to share things with the public, with your friends, with your family, whatever, by sharing a photo on Instagram, sharing a video on Instagram, sharing parts of yourself. But who, nobody... Thinks that should come along with here, take my phone, scroll through my co- whole camera roll, have at it. You have the right to consent and control what parts of you you share publicly. And you have a right to retain a level of privacy. I think with Harry and Meghan, what confuses people is that the, the narrative that especially the Piers Morgans and the Megan Kellys and the kind of media personalities and pundits of the world that really hate them, they, they love to uh, weaponize their desire for a more private life out of the spotlight. And then anytime they're spotted anywhere at the bungalows at a hockey game, doing a documentary, doing a book, they're like, how's that quest for privacy going? And I think people misunderstand privacy in that way, because actually, even if you read their initial proposal on the, their website for taking a step back <clears throat> from there official royal duties like it even says their formal statement acknowledges that their their roles as members of the royal family are subject to interest and they welcome accurate and honest media reporting as well as being held to account of appropriate equally like every member of society they also value privacy as individuals and as a family and they talk about like their quest for public service their you know desire to be self-funded working royals their acknowledgement that, that comes with the level of being public and having publicity and not to say these aren't very flawed individuals that have been hypocritical a lot of the time. Like, trust me, a lot of the time. I just think their baseline quest for privacy is is kind of misunderstood and used against them when um, I think they always were like, we're going to be public figures. They wanted to be like, I don't know if they wanted to allegedly be public servants or whatever, but um, they weren't comfortable with how behind the scenes stories were being like shopped and misconstrued and their own family wasn't like standing up for them when things were like blatantly materially incorrect. So for them it's about consent and control. Like they'll they'll I think they always wanted to tell their story and let you in, but they wanted to be able to control it and produce it themselves, so they did. Uh their story's been out there told by everybody else in every other context. They wanted to have control over the way they told it, which makes sense. But again, there's so many endless layers to this that you could argue of what comes along with their level of fame and wealth and privilege that they just need to deal with. But I I understand the baseline quest for, like, human privacy, decency, and security. Let me read from a—this is from a BuzzFeed article. It says, For the Sussexes, it's never been about privacy. They never wanted to step out of the spotlight. They've just wanted control over where it points. As working members of the royal family, Harry and Meghan were powerless in many ways when it came to shaping their public narrative. As we know from the Oprah interview, they had to play the media game according to the royal family's rules, staying silent when they would have rather spoken out. They were obligated to share parts of their lives with the public via an established system of palace-approved reporters known as the Royal Rhoda, and compelled to participate in such rituals as the ceremonial presenting of a royal baby to the cameras. They had to seek approval for everything, always with the understanding that their wants and needs were of lesser importance than those of the sovereign and direct heirs to the throne, not to mention the preservation of the monarchy." Megan told Oprah the top royal bureaucrats were willing to lie and protect other members of the family, but they weren't willing to tell the truth to protect me and my husband so like i I just think that's logical, like it was about consent and control for them, and as I've always said, I actually would have probably wanted to leave too. I don't think their role in the royal family I think their level of restriction was disproportionate to their level of upward mo- mobility um and i don't really I never totally understood why it was such a big deal that Harry couldn't live a bit more. Like the siblings and distant heirs to the throne, like some of his cousins or aunts and uncles, and why it was—I don't know. But again, I can't get into all of it. And I think what also contributes to their narrative of like insisting on being private is that they take action in privacy-related litigation. Um, that is quite valid, but again, it kind of fuels this. Oh, they just—they want to be anonymous, which is—it's just not the same thing. They take action against egregious breaches on behalf of a third party with, like, your legal right to privacy. And and mind you, the royal family's done the same in other instances. William did the same when topless photos were posted of Kate. We are not entitled to that private moment. We're not entitled to photos of her body. Like, that is a terrible, terrible breach of privacy. Um, Like, the Mail Online publishing a private letter is fucked up. It is illegal. Phone tapping is inarguably a huge privacy invasion. I think we forget the legitimacy of the court action they've taken for breach of privacy and breach of copyright because other public figures maybe would have looked the other way or said that's the way it is. And I think that Harry, kind of f- fueled by him feeling like the media killed his mother and that story swapping tore apart his family, like he just cannot handle letting them win in any way, shape, or form. So he is taking on very valid cases of privacy invasion that other people just wouldn't take on. And because they don't want, they fear the. Media will turn against them, which they have. But I think he's been like quite principled and measured in the things he's taking on. And when you actually look at the court cases, they're incredibly legitimate illegal activity that is not about them stepping out of the public eye. It's about basic protections that should be you know, required under law. So it's not to say they're, they have plenty of hypocrisies. They're not without their flaws. I do think there are many cases where they do want to have their cake and eat it, too. And I think the level of personal wealth they've amassed relative to their output to the world is like a personal point of frustration for me. Getting the getting the, the huge podcast award as some visionary with a team of 32, 30 million dollars, and you only have one season in like a 12 week run. It's just not representative of what, what most people have to go through in this industry. Um, But that's what comes along with platform. And that's how they've worked it. And I think what also maybe doesn't bode well for them is starting out, like, they kind of positioned it at first as, like, we want to have more of a backseat in production and directorial work in the entertainment space, but then they became more of the subjects and a lot of stuff that was shared in spare I did not think was necessary. Um, So I, I too, have mixed feelings. But in general, I think where it gets confusing is, what, like, what happened this week with the car chase. Like, I cannot get a clear read on what the hell happened. And it's really confusing to me because when it's the thing that's constantly brought up, you know, it it does leave more space to be like, you're playing the victim, you're crying wolf, you're overstating this, that or the other. And it's also confusing because like I mentioned earlier, I think privacy is to be expected within the scope of where you don't invite people in and where you don't participate in the public eye. And they were at an event, we're at a gala, we're on a step and repeat on a red carpet and leaving, they were being followed. And I'm like, okay, I understand, like, a level of disproportionate following and harassment and stalking and following you home is very scary. And obviously, if it endangers people on the road and whatnot, uh, it's important to get authorities involved. But, like, why them? Why that night? Why not anybody else from the gala? And I don't want to, like, victim blame, but what I kept, what I was kind of gleaning was that, okay, it seems like the biggest, they were being followed. And that's, like, a pretty common thing with a celebrity. But they really didn't want the paparazzi to know where they were staying. And I think that, like, a lot of times people get followed back to their hotel, but you stay in hotels with high security, with underground entrances. There are plenty of ways to get in places, not from the front, where you can lose people because there's security. But I don't think they were staying at a hotel. They must have been staying with a friend or something. And and I don't know if they had that security. And they seem to really not want people to know where they were staying. So that it's, like, fair. But if that's a case, Okay. I understand. I I've, I would not want people to know where I was either if I didn't feel safe. But also at a point doesn't if your job or if your person if your life comes along with that level of unfortunate uh interest in harassing by paparazzi, not that I agree with it, but don't you go out of your way to take measures to prevent how invasive they can be? It's kind of like you need to, I think you can rage against the machine, but there are times when like, you could also play the game a little smarter to make it affect you less. And to choose to stay with somebody instead of at a hotel with high security and underground or a back entrance uh doesn't really make sense to me because that's just a choice you could have made to make this easier on yourself and not have panicked when you were being followed. So it kind of seems like, It's totally fair that they were being harassed and followed and they didn't want to be. Um, But I think that happens often. And I think that maybe it was like extended and exacerbated because they wanted to go so out of their way to not know where they were staying because whatever security or way they would get into that place that would be photographed like they didn't want out there. But that's maybe a choice they should have made on the front end to not do that. Does that make sense? Anyway. um, okay. And then Taylor said to Maddie Healy, then we'll wrap up. This is like a way bigger extension of your question. But. I think all of these things orbit around uh, privacy, parasocial relationships, um, so on and so forth. I don't know what's going on with her right now. And the 180 from the extreme demand for privacy to open paparazzi walks, hand-holding in public, even though I guess that arguably was a private club, but still going to and from Electric Lady Studios together, having the guy she's rumored to be dating show up at her shows in the VIP tent that is high visibility when there are options to be in boxes and in other places without that level of visibility and you see people on the internet fighting about like she told it like focus on the music she like told us not to care about her personal life and I'm like oh my god guys she she's mouthing the same lyrics on a jumbotron that he did the week prior like there's something being cooked here and I don't like being treated like I'm stupid (laughs) And I hate watching people fight about absolutes, like of a thing she said one time about a particular context, taking it out of context and weaponizing it to silence people having commentary about what she's doing in a current context. I don't think that's totally fair either. Okay, so per what I was saying earlier, this is where the privacy and the parasocial conversation gets confusing because, sure, there's an argument to be made for that's Taylor's personal life, let's not be intrusive. Focus on the music, so on and so forth. But when she's making the choice to be publicly seen with people, and beyond that, she's making it a part of a product, she's making it a part of the fan transaction. And this is where it becomes a problem that is totally fair for people to comment on. And it's really um, dismissive and in dialogue terminating to say, we shouldn't, she told us to, to allow her privacy, not to care about her personal life, blah, blah, blah when she's putting Maddie Healy on stage with openers. Part of me doesn't even want to bring this up because I just think this makes people fight. And all the while, I don't actually think she cares what any of us think about her personal life. I think she's going to do exactly what she wants anyway. And I think that these situations should absolutely inform how you interact with someone as a consumer. But, like, directly reaching out to her, harassing her, demanding to, like, control her behavior and who she is. It's just not realistic. You don't know her personally. And that's not, just, it's just not... I don't think that's going to land with her as accountability. It's going to land as like kind of a parasocial overstepping and a desire to control that I think is weird for people that don't know her personally. I think I've gone through the grief phase of like, I, I think part of parasocial relationships is like, there needs to be space for people to not align with everything you believe in and not care about everything you care about as much as you do and to make mistakes and be flawed. Not saying it's right, but like, I just think it's healthy for you as a person internalizing this, somebody you idolize, like, to have this room for air built in. And I think I went through this process in the past couple of years being disappointed with some stuff. And now it's like my reaction isn't demanding she perform in a way that aligns with how I want her to behave. It's just feeling a sense of disappointment that I wish she would have done the right thing the first time. And I don't really know what to do about it, if I'm honest, like other than just on an individual level have that effect, how I interact with the end product as, a consumer and to acknowledge that this is part of the multitudes of fandom and that sometimes it feels impossible to separate somebody's personal decisions from their art. Sometimes you choose to, and there's not really like a perfect way to approach it. But that being said, it became on the table to comment on as a part of her personal life when she platformed him and put him on a stage. (laughs) Let me back up for a second. I don't want to spend too much time on this because this is, okay, this is an example of anytime. Like, I'm fine having the dialogue now, but over the years, I get harassed so much if I say anything negative about Taylor Swift. It becomes like if I'm in a bad mental health space or like currently I'm quite tired and preoccupied with 3D printing a human. And when people light up my DMs about Maddie Healy's performance art and like want to fight, I just like, I don't have the time or energy. So it's like you have to pick what battles you even want to take on because something about her... Just really gets people heated up and operate in extremes in a way that I just don't always think we have to be operating in extremes. But with Maddie Healy, I did a Patreon several weeks ago, or like a couple weeks ago, when this stuff's first started being like, I don't really understand him. I don't know who he is. I have the internet saying he's like a performance artist and is being satirical. My arguments kind of like, get better art. Like, kids, uh, why, why is your whole bit being a satirical bigot? It just, it doesn't. I don't have enough understanding or context for him, nor do I for that concept for me to even let it like let it slide. But people kind of make you feel stupid and pedantic, to use that word, uh, for not understanding like the higher level stuff he's about. I'm sure he's said things that are on the right side of history, but it doesn't eradicate the very, very wrong and disturbing things he's said that I've listened to a lot of the context of, and they... St- still seem pretty damn harmful and disturbing and not like a joke at all and i don't like to actively misunderstand people i think that it's even worth it to pay attention to how long ago something was said so we're not like discouraging people from evolving like i just i don't like picking stuff out of context and trying to paint someone a certain way like it's just not my vibe like i'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt it's just for all the stuff I don't really understand about him that people are trying to argue, I feel like from the things I've heard like in context in their normal form, that just don't seem to be a bit. they're not on stage. they're just like him talking and it wasn't a long time ago. The things that I think are the most harmful are as recent as February, and I think that's what's confusing is like people want to say he's all good or all bad, but I just think we have to like acknowledge what's here, and it frustrates me that. You know, a white man in a rock band can get away with so much to the point where it's so offensive and outlandish. It's debatably a performance. Like, think about that. Like, it annoys me that people with far less who have done far less get drop kicked off the Internet and absolutely dragged and quasi, you know, cancel, even though I don't like that term, especially women. Well, there seems to be an army of people working overtime to use their energy to over explain and defend this guy. And that just, like, makes me mad in general that, like, the energy is just not here to give people the B of the D when they aren't white men, I feel like, if I'm being honest. Um, like, people just really want people to believe he's a good guy. And I, I don't want to, I, I hate what about his arguments, um, but it, like it is hard to not spiral. And, you know, you think of, like, the parallels between some of Kanye's behavior and, like, Britney Spears, you know, when you really think about. Who's labeled as, like, crazy, unhinged, problematic versus who's labeled as, like, visionary, innovative, participating in performance art. It's just, it, it speaks to, like, I think privilege in and of itself who's able to pull these things off and who gets labeled as well-intentioned versus who doesn't. And how, like, sometimes when there are people that are, like, not well and seem to be acting out of turn, we're, like, quicker to label it as something favorable where, like, Britney Spears, we went zero to conservatorship. Uh, again, not, this is these are different situations, and I'm speaking in generalities I don't have time to dig into. I don't think people are in male influencers, DMs, being like, are you going to comment on this? What about this? Like, analyzing their every move. I just, there, there is a lot of misogyny in the way we treat public figures. Um, you think of, like, I, I have just a huge issue with the way fe- people are just so excited to take down female influencers and public figures in ways I just don't think male ones are sustainably taken down I mean theoretically we it, it is kind of crazy to like harass her and it's like theoretically we should be asking the same of the other work we support that's in his orbit of Phoebe Bridgers of Bo Burnham of Jack Antonoff I mean he's associating with all of these people um if that's something you really feel strongly about like them disassociating like that she's not the only person that supports him. And he's been around and doing this stuff for a while. But like I said, I I think where it gets tricky is that it becomes of public interest when he's being paraded to the public in ways we know are somewhat deliberate when there's messages being exchanged on stage. And then when people that bought tickets to her show with a preset group of openers and a knowledge of who was performing, um, they s- spend their time and money and travel and go the distance to see a show. And then if he's a person that, for whatever kind of twisted bullshit comedy, likes to make anti-Semitic jokes, likes to talk about watching porn that degrades women of color, it's not really on me to say whether it's fair or not for somebody that's affected by hateful behavior to be affected by it. One, two, I think it's Fair to feel really frustrated that you didn't know going into it that a person who has said really harmful things to groups of her fandom is going to be on stage for a ticket you paid for and i think that's where she opened the door to this commentary being more fair and transcending beyond her personal life even if she didn't i mean she someone once said you are who you love and i think it's to be expected that people are going to care so I, I don't think it's fair that people are trying to completely silence anybody who has a hard time with it and it's like okay if he has this contrarian bit where he does and says bigoted problematic things as a means of performance art like okay maybe i don't get it i would like cringe if people were resurfacing old videos of like colbert in character you know on the daily show um when it was like clearly a bit But the stuff that I'm upset with just is like he's not in character. He's just not in character. That appearance on that podcast back in February is called The Adam Friedland Show. Part of the reason why it didn't make headlines then was because it was so offensive at the time that Apple and Spotify pulled the episode from their platforms. But you can get clips of it still circulating on social media. And he says really horrible things about the rapper Ice Spice making making fun of her her appearance her weight her race her like among other things and then like he very nonchalantly talks about watching porn from a hardcore site that is known for white men degrading and humiliating women of color it's like a very violent racist sexist porn site that it's not like your run-of-the-mill kink stuff it's like hatred and dehumanizing and debasing women and minorities. And it's just really gross and upsetting and doesn't seem like a joke at all. And I just don't even know why we're even engaging in a conversation of this being like a defensible thing to say with such nonchalance in February, again, to the point where like the, the, the platforms took it down. This isn't a bunch of like snowflake Swifties choosing to be offended. I would like to think most people with human decency would see why this is really like gross, offensive, and weird behavior that isn't a person I really like want to be cheering for on stage. If like they feel that comfortable in a public forum admitting stuff like that that they participate in in their spare time, and I think it's absolutely fair to. Hear something like that to not be forced to do all this research and dump energy to like finding context for his like satirical character. Like what? No, this that alone. I mean there's so many other things. Like not unpacking right now, but like that alone for me is like yeah, this just isn't a guy I, I think is appropriate to be putting on stage without warning. I, this is there's no way to, like, compare this because it's not the same thing at all. But I keep thinking about, like, if I spent thousands, took off work, put in all this effort to, like, get tickets, blah, 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 spend all this time and money on somebody's back catalog and supporting them, and even though that was my choice, to, like, think I knew what I was getting along with those votes I was casting with my dollars and my time, and then I arrive there, and, like, Tucker Carlson's co-hosting the event, and I'm like, wait, what? Like, I think about that feeling um, because I think people that have been the most offended by Maddie Healy's behavior have been tuned into this for a while. But you could opt out of being a part of his universe until it started to bleed into one of yours, you know? And I'm just trying to, if, if you've been, like, cued into this guy for a while and you're seeing him be platformed in this way and are a huge, huge fan of hers and spending your time and money with her, I'm just, like, trying to think of how that would feel. Uh, because at first I was kind of like, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't even know if I feel like looking into it. But then I was like, well, it's, it's really shitty to make the people that are affected by it most take, you know, have to waste the energy to explain why it's a problem. It's pretty obvious why it's a problem. But like, yeah, I don't know. I just keep thinking about uh, somebody that I like despise who seems to go against everything I stand for showing up in a space where I wasn't expecting them and how that would feel. Two things can be true. He can have had his moments of, of clarity and activism and have stood up for the right things at some times. And that's true. But he can also have said really horrible, degrading things about people that don't make you want to support him. Um, and that's like leaving Taylor out of it entirely. The part where she comes in is putting him on a stage or if they collab with Speak Now Taylor's version and just the interesting choice of um, publicly being spotted out with him. Again, I'm not trying to control her or demonize her, but I think his behavior on its own has been... There's a spotlight on it that I've come into the awareness of people like me, who, and I understand why that's annoying for, like, long-time fans who think we're, like, misunderstanding something, but I just don't really see how that could be misunderstood. If you want to choose to, like, see through that, go ahead. It's just not really fair for you to tell the people affected by the comments how they should feel about them, you know? Um... Do I think the steps being taken to like control and harass Taylor for his behavior are going to move the needle? No, I, I, as much as I hate to say it, like, I don't think she really cares what we think about her personal life. And th- that's where part of me is like, I'm all for like healthy levels of accountability. At a point where somebody is being like constantly asked, begged, <laughs> coerced into doing something, it's kind of a, it becomes weird where I'm like, Okay, she gets so much shit for being a performative activist. In cases where a person's not doing the thing you hope they would do the first time, if they're having to be like begged written open letters to, et cetera, to like do the right thing, that just like tells me what I need to know because then all of those efforts are essentially asking them to perform. And I guess what I'm paying attention to is not just like, do you say it, but like, do you mean it and actually care? And if you were thinking through this, like maybe you wouldn't have Already put people in that position. And I just, I don't, do you know what I mean? It's like, I think there's an interesting irony in being accusatory toward people that are performative and surface level while also demanding that performance from people and seemingly not caring if it like is something that naturally comes to them. When I'm just like, I don't see how you wouldn't have thought this through before. And that's just disappointing to me. I think Taylor, to quote the podcast, Taylor's going to Taylor, and she does stuff like this all the time that kind of is surprising and disappointing, but I think we have a, a, a goldfish memory sometimes. I've had ver- pockets of time where I'm like, what is she thinking? What is she doing? But new album, new Taylor's version. I love the music. Since it's mostly about the music, there are a lot of multitudes that come along with being a, a fan of hers. Um do I think the association is disappointing? Uh, yeah. Do I think we can do anything about it? Like, not really. I don't mean to make you feel powerless. I just think that on the the helpful, healthy commentary that's totally valid is kind of getting shut down by people going to extremes, like demanding to control what she does and who she hangs out with. And that's just not r- realistic. And to take it back to the privacy conversation, that's where I think like, this isn't this isn't what's gonna move the needle. And at a point, do we just have to, Be like okay with being disappointed. (laughs) I don't need her to do everything and be everywhere all at once. I don't need her to personally align with me on every issue. I think with any public figure, we have to be able to agree and disagree with things they do and allow space for your differences, for their flaws, to allow space to assume maybe you're misunderstanding some of their actions or inactions because of nuances involved with their level of fame, celebrity. Uh, That you can't possibly understand. Like it's a combination of. It being fine to be disappointed. Wanting and wishing for an element of accountability. But also understanding that this is why. These parasocial relationships are complicated. And a lot of times people do separate the art. From the artist. And that it becomes confusing and weird. During times when certain issues. Arise where. You as a consumer have to choose. On an individual basis. How you participate and what you fund. And I think these like bigger fandom fights get ugly. And um, and all the while, she's not even participating and we're doing all the work for her. And it's just kind of like, it's a little crazy making to me sometimes. So like, I love the era's tour. I love the music. Oh, I'm excited for Speak Now Taylor's version. I think this behavior is odd. I don't really think it's thought through. And if it is, that's perhaps more disappointing. I'm interested to see what happens. I don't hold her accountable for his actions, but I do I think someone with her level of platform and her, how thoroughly she thinks through and does everything, I'm just surprised this, she put him on stage without kind of thinking through if maybe he was a polarizing figure that would offend some g- members of her community, and that sucks. <laughs> um, and I guess we'll see how far this interaction goes from here. So I guess in conclusion, with Taylor Swift part, let me get back to privacy. I think whatever is going on with Maddie is an interesting departure from the Joe situation where people are using the Joe narrative to say stay out of her personal life. She asked for privacy, but that doesn't apply anymore because what she's doing right now is very much inviting people into the conversation and, like, platforming this person the past few weeks in a very clear way. So, therefore, there is dialogue, which I do think is on the table from a privacy standpoint. But I think this is like a revisiting to the old Taylor that is leveraging speculation about her personal life. For purposes of marketing, given that that what I just fishy that that article of the Sun was like they'll debut their relationship this that the first show in Nashville blah blah blah. and of course like he's there did he perform that night and then uh, she announces speak now I mean it's 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 their old bag of tricks it's just fascinating and then with this person of all people all things considered it's just kind of um, I don't maybe it's not surprising. And I'm not even moralizing that. Like, I don't. I think it's shitty to um, say people can't participate in self promotional efforts. Like, I've, I've never calling attention to somebody's marketing and self promo and PR efforts. Well, I think sometimes it's like overstated what is and isn't PR. It just like is what it is, and it happens, and it's not meant to be offensive. <laughs> Uh, It doesn't mean you think they're a bad person or misleading you. It's just, it's kind of the name of the game of fame and it's part of it. And I wouldn't really normally overthink it. It's just who it's with all things considered of how thoroughly she thinks through most stuff. It's just, yeah, it's an interesting choice for sure. And one that I'm not personally um, very interested in, in a way that would make me like excited to analyze and read into music. Not that I need to be for it to be, to exist and to be valid, but I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 disenchanted to know more about him, to say the least. Uh, and I know that's upsetting to people that are like diehard fans of his. I just the thing I can't unhear these things and I just really did not like them. Anyway, you guys People don't have to do everything I like, align with me entirely, i know you guys don't align with everything I say, and I'm annoying as hell, so don't listen to me. This is a very windy conversation about privacy that I don't know if it was helpful, but it was like it's one of those things where it's so complicated, I don't feel like getting into it. But then I feel like when I have that sensation, it means I should talk about it because there's probably space for us to like work out nuanced thoughts. But when something's developing, I, like, I sometimes want more time to evolve through those thoughts to get more information. This is still fairly early. Maybe they're not dating. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it'll fizzle out. Maybe our opinions will evolve. I'll report back. But that's, as of now what I've been... And I think, like, high-level with Taylor Swift, as a fan, I think it's frustrating and hypocritical when you get admonished by a public figure for inquiring into their personal life. And you're kind of, like, shamed for doing so. But then they do paparazzi walks and actively bait you with their personal relationships. And they leverage their personal life for publicity. I feel like she's an example of a person that we can't all get along and have one clear opinion. Inside the fandom, no one's... people just hold on to things she believed in or asked for or said at a certain point in time. And no one's necessarily wrong. Um, and people kind of will stonewall with the argument of like, she's a pop star. She's an escapist medium. She doesn't need to comment on these things. She told us to stay out of her personal life, like so on and so forth. Um, but then there's people that are like, well, no, in 2020, she released a documentary. St- that was designed to explain why she hadn't been active up until that point and to commit to activism going forward. And she has songs like, you need to calm down. And she had this very brief and present campaign for LGBTQ rights, trans rights, people whose rights have been profoundly compromised and put into question in countless ways over the past few years. And she hasn't really said anything. So I think it's fair to say that that commitment didn't really hold up and it People felt abandoned. And when you feel like you're being used for someone's commercial benefit, you know, is it any different to release that song during Pride Month than it is to like release a Chipotle Rainbow Burrito? Like, you know, it just it 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 I think it's very fair to feel like the optics of caring about something and benefiting from that when the actual action isn't there is like a frustrating thing you want to hold somebody accountable to. I just like don't know how at this point, because this has been happening for a while. <laughs> um and i think the miss i think miss americana is what really threw it off for people like i i don't think i would have ever held her to a level of activism if she hadn't like kind of again for this whole conversation brought us into that part of her and made it seem like that was on the table and something she wanted something she wanted to commit to going forward i think in recent years as people's human rights have been majorly um compromised and called into question with public policy it's understandable that the people that fervently support her who thought they were going to get that support by use of her platform, are kind of like, what the hell, man? Um, <laughs> that was eloquent. Um, but so it's like, I get what you're saying. If you're like, she's a pop star, she doesn't owe us anything, blah, blah, And I also get what you're saying. If you're like, well, she said she was going to be an activist and she, you know, used our group as an example of her activ- activism and then didn't really follow through. I get I get both and both are like true in weird ways. Um. So I just I think I, I just find the fandom fr- fighting to be like frustrating because most days I just want to enjoy the music and not really even bother, which I know sounds lazy and privileged <laughs> in of itself. But it's just like I don't really know what the answer is, but I do think those go to an extreme where the feedback and the harassment and the demand for certain behaviors isn't productive and really overstates how much she cares about our individual opinions of what she does with her personal life. Cause she's going to do whatever the hell she wants. Anyways, she always does. <laughs> uh, but that said, it, it can fully inform how you engage as a consumer and that's the power you have. And that's what you can choose on an individual basis. When I take stuff on like this, that isn't a perfect conversation. It never ends well for me, but I, I know I no, I don't want to get to a place where I'm too scared to do it because I think nuance is worth exploring. So I'm sorry if I said anything that offended or doesn't align with you or doesn't match an extreme you fall in. I'm I'm just trying to explore aloud, uh, however imperfectly it's done. And um, I appreciate you being willing to listen, willing to join for Kate Lila. Uh, My takes are not the, the right ones. They are just an opinion. I'm so grateful to you guys for giving me this platform so I can share them. And it means a lot to me that you come back each week. We have Lots of fun stuff coming up this summer as I continue in my gestation era. Uh, and I, it truly for an independent operation like mine, it means the world that you come back each week. You keep this operation going. If you rate and review five stars, if you tell a friend, you share on social media, like all that is like the only way I stay afloat. Your support helps to offset a lot of the noise and harassment that comes from people that don't like when you don't just speak positively of Taylor Swift. So like truly thank you for those of you who are like willing to uh have the tougher conversations are the ones that aren't like always the most pleasant. Like I still think they're important and I still think we can be super fans and explore all sides of an issue. And I just appreciate those of you that are that are cool with it and not trying to affect my livelihood. I don't know. It's just so weird to say, but it like it, it gets scary to talk about Taylor Swift, which is so wild. I, I we should never feel silenced. Like we can't have an opinion about something one way or, or another. Um so yeah. Anyway, I gotta get this episode put up. Hope you have a wonderful Sunday if you're listening today. A wonderful week otherwise. And uh as always for the Walter Cronkate of it all. <laughs> Let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear.